Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 33, and it can be found on page 1,279 in your pew Bibles. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion, so great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. This is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah is the prophet most, uh, most commonly associated with this book in the Bible. It is one uh, that we get the word lament from. We, we get it and have that understanding of lament in part because of this text and what uh, happens in this book of the Bible. And Jeremiah even earns the nickname among many church commentators going back centuries. They talk about Jeremiah as the weeping prophet, one whose heart has just been broken. You see, Jeremiah, at a young age, had received a call from the Lord to, to go to the people of God and, and to call them back to faithfulness and, and to point out to them the ways that they were disobeying God and say to them, but there's still time. There's mercy available for you. But, but they refused to listen. They wanted nothing to do with that message. And as time went on and they continued to refuse to listen to Jeremiah, God gave Jeremiah the message that the people would be taken into exile. That the curses of that original covenant that God had made with the people were going to happen. That they would be removed from the land. That their lives would be filled with anxiety and worry. That they would be separated from the presence of God. What a message. 
What a message to have weigh heavily upon your heart. And, and not only to have it weigh upon your heart, but as you communicate that word to the people, to have the people stubbornly refuse to listen, stubbornly refuse to turn and repent, and then you watch as these people that you have loved, these people that you have served, are dragged off into exile. All those parts of Deuteronomy and Leviticus that we like to skip over that talk about God's judgment has just happened right in front of Jeremiah's eyes. The people have been dragged off. It seems, it seems as if God's people, once ransomed and rescued from Egypt, have now denied God, have lost hope, have been taken away. And in the words that Jeremiah uses in the opening part of this section, I well remember my bitterness and my gall, my wandering. The word there for wandering is literally homelessness. I have no place anymore. Your people are gone. Your presence is gone. I feel only your absence, O God. Where are you? And it's not just kind of this existential crisis he's going through, not something that he just thinks about and goes, I wonder where God is. It's something that's gotten so far into him that he describes it as wormwood <laughs> in the original language. There's a taste in his mouth as if he's licking wormwood. A sour that sets your teeth on edge, a bitterness that disturbs your stomach and makes it so that you can't eat. Jeremiah is deeply, deeply troubled. Where are you, God? Where is your compassion and your mercy? Where are your people who used to be faithful? Where, O oh Lord, my whole world is upended? Where, O oh Lord, are you? There's trouble. There's trouble. It's not foreign to us. It may not be as a direct result of sin and, and that, but we still live in a world that is sin and the consequences of that original sin. We live in a world where, where we experience the aging of our bodies, where our minds and our bodies no longer work the way they once used to. And if you're too young to understand that, go find a senior member of the church and sit with them for a while. And senior members, feel free to share some of your stories. Help us understand part of that journey of growing older that we often overlook in our youthfulness. We still bear the consequences of the big capital letter S, sin, and that curse. We feel it. Some of us feel it not so much in our bodies or the deterioration that comes with age, but, but we feel it in the mental health challenges we have. We had just this past week the, the bell, let's talk, right? Trying to raise awareness and get rid of the stigma of talking about mental health issues. If we take a, a look at our congregation and just go based on percentages in our culture, 20-some percent of us are dealing with depression at any given time. We're dealing with anxiety at about that same rate. 
And then we talk about things like bipolar disease and, and schizophrenia, which are present here among us. And we recognize that we have a crying out in us that resonates with Psalm 13, where the people of God would say, How long, O Lord, how long? And it wasn't just a quiet song. It was a guttural song. Lord, see us. See the brokenness that we feel in our bodies, in our minds. Hear us crying out for that peace that you've promised, that peace that passes all understanding. Hear us longing for that day when you will make us whole. How long must we live under the curse? How long? We live in a world, too, if we just listen to the news. If we pay attention to a Twitter feed or the stories that go around, we recognize the vitriol, the hatred, the anger that exists among our world. And we can say with Isaiah, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips and unclean tweets. We struggle, don't we? We hurt. And we can, we can hear, hear Jeremiah's lament and say, yeah, we're there too. We know it all too well. And so I want to say to Jeremiah today and say, how do you get to that place of hope? How do you get to that place where you, you say in this text, Jeremiah, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And how do you come back at the end, at the end of this text, and, and you say, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever, because it sure feels like it. We feel that absence. We feel the lack of the fullness of life that's promised us in Scripture. We wonder where God is. There's some grace in this text, though some grace that we need to hear and we need to dig a little deeper to be able to understand the word of grace that Jeremiah is clinging to in the midst of, of circumstances that say and shout and scream at him, God has left you. Verse 23, or 22, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. There's, there's a few words in here to, to slow us down and pay attention to. One, because of the Lord's great love. Some other translations say, because the Lord's steadfast love. It's trying to get at an underlying word in this text that, that we've talked about a little bit here before. It's, it's called hesed. It, it has everything to do with what we just did here this morning. Hesed. It is God's covenantal pledge to love us no matter what. It's God's covenantal faithfulness that says, even when you think I'm not there, I'm still there. I'm still with you. I am committing myself to you, even though I know you won't commit yourself fully to me. As Paul, writing to one of his mentees later on, said, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And what, what Jeremiah is clinging to is that chesed of God, saying he is a God of love. That is fundamentally his character. And even though the circumstances of my life and the world around me right now don't make sense, I'm choosing 
to focus on this one thing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day, or his compassions are new every day. And that word for compassion in there, we we need to sit with for a moment because it is a powerful, powerful word. And, And we lose it quite often in our English because we hear compassion so often. In fact, we even talk about compassion fatigue, right? But this word compassion, it comes from the root word for womb. A woman's womb And it tacks into it the idea of aching. It is the aching of a woman's womb that God has for us. That love, that motherly love that says, this is my child and I'm not giving up. I am not letting go. I am not abandoning. It is that motherly love, that compassion of God that Jeremiah clings to. You are a God whose womb aches for us. This is who you are, God. And even though the world around me doesn't make sense, I cling to this reality. That you are the God whose steadfast love has been pledged to us and who aches for us with that motherly love ache. We need to sit with that. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of places that don't make sense, in the midst of aspects in our lives that feel like they have fallen apart and we wonder where God is and we cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? We need to sit until the point we also hear God crying out, I love you. I will never forsake you, never abandon you. I love you. It is a grace for us today. Not just for Jeremiah back then. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Most of us have heard that verse, if not memorized that verse. But if we paid attention to the verse that comes right after it, For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's impulse is not one to judge and to condemn. His impulse is one to save and rescue and draw back, to bring back to himself. And it comes up at the end of this text as well that that Jeremiah has. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Literally, the Hebrew in there is, his heart is not bent towards bringing grief. His heart is not bent that direction. His heart is bent towards bringing life. That passage we read from Romans 5 earlier that assurance of pardon, that while we were God's enemies, even, even if we had stood up and opposed God directly and said, I want nothing to do with you, it is while we were doing that that Christ died for us. 
So much so that a few chapters later, as Paul continues to reflect on this amazing gift of God's love in Jesus Christ, he comes to a point of saying, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so much so that when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, he gets all caught up in it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, it's his character, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. A God who is compassionate, loves us with that motherly love. There's another pairing of words to pay attention to in this text. Because in both places, both with the, the great love of God and the compassion of God, it says not consumed and never fails. And the idea behind that never fails is you can't exhaust it. You can't come to the end of it. You can't use it all up. You can't say, God, thanks for this, and, and when the water in the bowl runs dry, then God's love has run dry. No. The word is that motherly love of God, that Hesed covenantal faithfulness of God can never be exhausted. It can never be used up. It is a God who continually extends his love and his faithfulness. To the point we get the next verse that says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. I've been listening and reading through an author lately, Anne Voskamp. Some of you may have heard of this, her book, 1,000 Gifts. It's a profound book. She writes in a very poetic language all the way through, but grappling with her own movement from, from ingratitude and complaining to a place of thankfulness. And, and she uses the word Eucharisto, which is what, we, what lies behind this, this celebration of the Lord's Supper that we do. It is that giving of thanks for what God has given to us and, and putting ourselves in a posture of gratitude. I'm going to read. I'm going to invite you, if, you're, if you feel comfortable doing so, simply to close your eyes while I read this as, as she wrestles with, how do I get to that place of joy instead of anger and bitterness? I know there is poor and hideous suffering. And I've seen the hungry and the guns that go to war. I have lived pain and my life can tell. I only deepen the wound of the world when I neglect to give thanks for early light dappled through leaves and the heavy perfume of wild roses in early July and the song of crickets on humid nights, and the rivers that run, and the stars that rise, and the rain that falls, and all the good things that a good God gives. Why would the world need more anger, more outrage? How does it save the world to reject unabashed joy when it is joy that saves us? Rejecting joy to stand in solidarity with the suffering doesn't rescue the suffering the converse does. 
the brave who focus on all things good and all things beautiful and all things true even in the small, who give thanks for it and discover joy even in the here and now. They are the change agents who bring fullest light, light being capitalized there, to all the world. When we lay the soil of our hard lives open to the reign of grace, and let joy penetrate our cracked and dry places. Let joy soak into our broken skin and deep crevices. Life grows. Jeremiah demonstrates for us one way of getting there, of acknowledging the brokenness, acknowledging the sorrow, but at the same time saying, Yet, Lord, I trust in your chesed. I trust in that covenantal faithfulness. I know you are a God who loves me with a motherly love that will not end, that cannot be exhausted. And therefore, I take hope. I take hope in the midst of the here and now. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. We need you to wash over us and to fill us and to cleanse us and to make us whole, to release us from the sins and addictions that we can't get out of ourselves, to give us strength to endure the suffering and the deterioration of our bodies and our minds. To give us courage to continue standing up when the world shouts at us to sit down and take a back seat. To give us that deep-rooted faith where we can trust that you truly are God, that you truly are good and loving and kind and that your motherly love will never be exhausted because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And in the Holy Spirit, who is moving among us now, we pray and we hope. Amen. I invite us to stand and sing together. We're going to sing a song called Oceans. It's a newer song for some of us. For some of us, we know it full well. Uh, if you don't know it, feel free to listen as they sing. If you do know it, feel free to sing out. Please stand as you are able.